Good morning. morning. Welcome to Sabbath School. My name is Wendell Moses. I'm filling in for Tim Jennings. He's in Auburn, California, um, giving a seminar there at the church. And we welcome you here today. We will also welcome those who are online and um, looking at this from another location, wherever that is. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming together to study your word, to talk about you, and to learn after you what you've given to us. May we honor you today in our discussion, be with those who participate, be with um, Tim in his ministry, and may we honor you in all that we do and say. Amen. We're covering lesson number, li- lesson number nine, Christ, the law, and the gospel. Um, the memory text for today is John 1.17, and in the, in the lesson guide, it's from the New King James Version. It says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What's your definition of grace? Webster's Dictionary says it is divine assistance to live a holy life. Divine assistance to live a holy life. That's grace. That is a, um, how do I describe that? That is a function, okay? If I were to describe grace in that way, I would be describing a function, okay? I think your definition and which one you choose has a lot to do with your perspective on what went wrong in the great controversy, what it requires to fix it, and what this is all about, okay? When I say that I watched a ballet and the person was very graceful, am I talking about the same thing? If I ask you over for dinner and we have food on the table, I say, would you please say grace? Am I talking about the same thing? Okay. So, if the object of salvation is doing away with records of sinful acts, then you need magic. You need a magic solution to that problem. You need some way of correcting and covering and getting rid of sinful acts or their records. Okay? If you understand salvation is a destruction of a relationship or an infection in which someone has has had a deviation of their character, then what you need is to know the characteristics of the people involved and how to resolve that infection. Okay? So grace is an individual's characteristic. Okay? Whether they are graceful or not. Grace is a description of what God is like, rather than a commodity, a function of his character. Okay? So, would it bother you if you lost the word grace from your favorite text? Um, when you read John 1.14, what do you hear? John 1.14, which is three texts before the text for the, for the um, memory text, it says in King James Version, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Would it bother you if you read it from a more contemporary translation? So, God's Word translation says, The Word became human and lived among us. We saw His glory. It was the glory that the Father shares with His only Son, a glory full of kindness and truth. Okay? Or, the contemporary English version 
The Word became a human being and lived here with us. We saw His true glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father. From Him, all kindness and all the truth of God have come down to us. Is that any different? The final passage I'd like to read. Wendell. Yes. I, 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 like, uh, I really like your point on it depends on our perspective on how we view grace. You know, if you come from a penal substitution perspective, grace is blotting out records of sins and covering with blood and the payments being made. That's grace. If you come from a healing substitution model, grace is restoring in mankind God's original design to play God's original character, God's God's original image in mankind. Okay. Grace, grace takes on very different meanings. Yeah, and you know, in preparing for this lesson, you you try to okay, you know, what is what's the topic about and whatnot, and it mentions the gospel, and so I went and decided I was going to read what the gospel was, and I didn't realize it was such a controversy. You know, there's you know. A wa- there's books and books on it, and, and um, I won't go there. I won't spend all my time on the gospel. We'll mention it you know, in, in passing, but I'm not going to cover all those wide variations. But I got to thinking about grace because if grace is truly a commodity or a function or whatever, it's a much different thing about than what the person is like. In um, the New Living Translation... Um, John 1, 14 through 17 says, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about Him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for He existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Now, I'll have to say that that same translation goes further down the path of penal substitution when they get over into Romans. Okay? And so, um, how you understand what the problem is and what your problem is or my problem is will determine what I hear is good news in relationship to that problem. Yes, Russell. Um. You know, in the King James Version, our, our memory text uh, adds a but in there. Law is given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And the NIV, and not New International Version, this is a semicolon. Right. And, uh, I, I, I don't know what the original translation is, but I have to wonder if the but was added. Right. Because, you know, the law given through Moses is, is a revelation, is every bit of revelation of God's grace, as, as is uh, the, the giving of his son. It was just done at a different time for different people with a different need. Excuse me, with the same need. We all needed the we all needed the same thing. We all needed the the healing, but it was given to a certain people at a certain time in, in our world's history. The translation that I have on my iPad um, uses supplied words for explanation and whatnot in italics. They're not for emphasis. Um, they're, they're, because they've been supplied by the translators to help with the thought, and the but is a, a supplied word. Okay? Um, we, Frank Knittle, many of you know him, Dr. Frank Knittle, he was the president of this college when I was here, and, you know, I made the mistake of not recognizing him last week or week before last when he was here, and, um, um, I, I hold him in high regard. He grew up in a German-speaking family. And um, uh, the, there was a controversy somewhat when I was here in college about what Bible translation should you use and all that sort of stuff. 
And he said it was very, very easy in his household because they spoke German. A new version, trans, uh, new translation of the, of the Bible came out in German about every two years. And so he asked his mother which one he should read, and she told him whichever one you can understand. You know, um, you know, they did not have the heritage of a dominating translation which had certain words used in a certain manner, which to a large degree has altered how we perceive our theology. And now we have generated theologies based on words and whatnot, and um, those words have now changed in their meaning. And often now, if you look in Greek lexicons, the more modern ones have followed the theology rather than followed the original descriptions. And so I, I find it interesting. Um, I use translators in my office every day when I work you know, with patients because I have a significant number of patients who cannot speak English. I have four main translators. And it's interesting because when we call, we say we need a translator. They send over someone from an office nearby. And when the person walks in the door, I start changing my words. Because the four of them each have a difference in how they translate. And I knew if I use certain words the one will be using certain things. And um, often we have the case where the patient is a middle school or older child who speaks English at school. He speaks Spanish at home. And so the staff have often asked, why can't we just use the kid, etc.? Or the other thing that happens is there are two members of the family, parents in the family. One, the mother does not speak English. The father, because he's worked in the workplace, speaks English. And so the father can speak English, but it's the mother who's the caretaker of the child, and I have to convey to the mother what needs to be done. And I cannot use the father. Because the father, I know enough Spanish, very little, but I know enough Spanish that... When I speak and explain something, I can tell what he's explaining to her. And it's often a subset or very different than what I have spoken to him. We get even further confused when we have the um, Guatemalan Indian people because they speak only Indian and they speak, then they, they I have to speak to a, tra a Spanish translator who speaks, who translates into Spanish, who then translates into the Guatemalan Indian tongue. And um, I have no clue what's happening there. But um, when I do have a Spanish family, I have to be careful about how, who I use and what words I use because I know how they'll be translated over into, into English or, you know, vice versa. And um, it goes back to our translations that we read, okay? Um, most of us have gotten away from the King James Version within our current culture. Um, when King James was a much bigger issue, I bought a book. It's called the King James Word Book. And it included its little paragraphs with the word that's used in the King James and then a passage from Shakespeare or whatever where it's also used about the same time in a common writing of the day, and then it gives the current translation. There's 827 words that are listed here. In the back, there's an index to um, 2,600 words whose meaning has changed completely from how King James English was used versus um, modern English. The word prevent is used 15 times in the Old Testament and twice in the New Testament in the King James Version, but always in the now obsolete sense of go before, anticipate, or precede. When the psalmist says, I prevented the dawning of the morning, the present-day reader of the King James is mystified. He may then consult some other version where it says, he will, I anticipated the dawning of the morning, by which he will probably understand that the writer eagerly looked forward to the dawn. Paul 
Um, you know, also in Peter, and there's there's trans in their um, discussions use we have the word prevent, and if I'm reading in a different tongue, I don't understand. One other issue, though, is just like my Spanish translators in my office, the translations that you hold in your hand will contain the biases of those individuals to which you they, they hold. That's inherent. It's okay. I, I have no qualms about reading God's Word from any of those translations, if I can understand them, um, because... I think that God's word is in all of them. But it would do you well to read from more than one if you're trying to figure out a complicated thought or concept or whatever. Um, I will have to say that the most common version now is the NIV, and it's the most legal-sounding version we have. Yes? One tip for Bible study is to have, I think it's Strong's where you look up the Greek word that's in that verse, and then you can look at all the verses that have that same word. And that's really helpful to understand the meaning of a word if you have six other verses that use that same Greek word or that same Hebrew word. The translators try to consistently use that same word. And so I would encourage you, they sometimes they don't, but I'd also encourage you to get a collection, you know, and now with something like the Bible Gateway, which is a, a um, internet website, it has, I think, 20 or so English translations of the, the Bible on it, and you can compare side by side lots of different translations and whatnot. Um, so, um, I guess this is my, one of my little rants, I'm sorry, that... Um, the, but the translation is important, and how we read is important. And if we're thinking grace is a commodity, it maybe is. And I don't take away from anyone who understands that God gives us what it takes to heal us. And if that commodity is called grace, then so be it. But I'd also like to say that grace is also a description of who God is. And... We need to be careful about um, making our concept of what God is in trying to understand him through verbiage that maybe was obtained at a different time. So, All right, moving on. Um, Sabbath afternoon, um, reading the, from the, the passage, a century before Christ, Roman poet Lucretius wrote a famous poem on the nature of things that was lost in history until the Middle Ages. And it goes on down, it says, um, Lucretius didn't deny his in his poem the existence of the gods, he just argued that by virtue of being gods, they would absolutely have nothing of interest in anything human. In contrast, the Bible argues that there is only one God, that he's fervently interested in what happens and two manifestations of that passionate interest in humanity are found in his law, which is a guide to how we live, and in his grace, his means of saving us, even though we have violated that law. I'd like to um, say that we often have compared the law in here to the MRI scanner, okay? And how we use an MRI scanner in modern medicine. Um. You know, Paul says that we, he would not have known what, the law, what sin was without the law. Okay? But consider an MRI scanner for just a minute. Does it tell me how to form my parts? So I'm, I'm responding to the sentence that says the law, which is a guide to how we live. Does the MRI scanner tell me what I have to do? Or tell me how my parts, I need, what I need to do to get my parts correctly? No. It tells me when my parts are not formed correctly, or I have extra parts that I shouldn't have. Okay? How is the law different than that? The law shows us what normal should look like. Okay. The MRI scanner compares 
what it sees versus a, a known normal. Okay. So can we truly mend our ways by seeing the perfect law? Or are we brought to Christ, as um, Galatians says, the, the, the guide that takes us to, to Christ? Christ is the perfecter of our faith and healer of our lives, Hebrews 12.2. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. The perfecter, or that word looking up in the lexicons, the completer of our faith, the finisher of our faith, the goal of our faith, maturity of our faith. So the law does not have the power to change us, nor do we. Yes. In fact, depending on how you feel about God, looking at the law and seeing that perfection can actually make you angry about who you are or what's going on in your life or turn you against. You know, if you've misunderstood God's character and misunderstood the law, you can it, it actually makes you run from it. Well, I can't be like that, so I might as well blah blah blah, you know. So it it all depends, and I think even in the translations, depending on how you see God is how you're going to look at those things and allow them to tell you what you need to hear and give you the power to live that kind of life. Um, That goes to my notes on Tuesday's lesson, and I'll I'll move there right now. Just a second, I'll I'll get back to you. Um, You know... It talked about um, knowing the law and being responsible for the law versus not knowing the law and not being responsible for the law in Tuesday's lesson. And I remember thinking as a young person, well, don't tell me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to hear it. La, 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 la. You know, I, I don't want to hear it because if I don't hear it, I won't be responsible, you know. And... Um, then, you know, someone, when I was here at this institution, read me a Mrs. White quote that kind of squashed that and said, you're responsible for not only what you know, but what you could have known if you would have used due diligence with his word. Oh, oh, you shouldn't have read that to me. Okay. You know, um, it's sad that someone is tempted to learn less about God. You know, who is the source? who is our friend, who is our closest family member, if you read that text correctly, God is, uh, Christ is our elder brother. He's our closest family member who's looking out for us, who's our best supporter and confidant, if you read Romans 8, you know. And, um, oh, brother, you know, it's, it's like you say, you know, the law can drive us away if all we have is the law. I think a lot of the misunderstandings that we currently have in our gender mixed up culture has a lot to do with our misunderstanding of God and his grace and, and what the law means, you know. So anyway, yes. Well, then you have David saying, I delight in your law. I love to look into your law. Your law is my meditation. And you find yourself thinking, Really? You really delight to think about the law, you know, before you start to see the beauty in the law. And I think the beauty of the law is that just like with the $5 bill you hand a cashier now in my building, they take the little marker and run over it to see if it's a counterfeit. The law shows the difference between truth and counterfeit. And if you are familiar with the real thing, with the real character of God as demonstrated in the law, because the law is... Love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. If you really understand what that means, and if each of us practiced that, what it would mean in the society, you would love the law. You would love the genuine, and you would also be able to identify the counterfeit. So if you focus on the genuine, you can more easily um, identify the counterfeit when you see it. You guys are really scrambling with my notes. Yes. <laughs> and. And so I listen to the discussion, we use the word law, my mind bounces back and forth, because there's really two, two uses of that word, even you know, in class here. There's the, the written given law, which I think 
um, is that MRI law. This is what, if you're following the law, this is what it looks like. But there's that bigger law of love, which is what's behind it all, and that that isn't a, the diagnosing thing. It's the it's the um, the the protocol. It's the life giving protocol. But wouldn't it also be the diagnosing thing? Maybe. I don't because know. truly, if you look at your life and say, "Is my life love?" Then that's a diagnosing thing. Just as that, if I look at Christ and look at His perfect life of love, and, and if I don't measure up, that's a diagnosing thing. Right. And that's how judgment. My understanding of how judgment comes into our hearts is that we look at perfect love. We look at truly what God is really like. And no, I don't have His same, you know, sustaining powers and everything else that that portion, etc. But if I look at His characteristics, and then I look at my life and I say, Wendell, you're not measuring up to be therefore perfect in love as God is perfect in love. Then yes, that's a diagnosis thing. Right. I'm thinking maybe more in terms of the limitations that something like the Ten Commandments have. Sure. Um, and so when Linda's saying uh, the Psalms say, I delight, I think it's that law of love that has that infinite ability to be dealt into. And the Ten Commandments are a reflection of that, of course. But... But um, rightly understood. Yeah, rightly understood. If if you look at the Ten Commandments, yeah, if you look at the Ten Commandments as descriptors, exactly, rather than restrictors. Okay, so there as a description or a proscription of if you are truly godlike, you will not have any other gods before me. You will not take my name in vain. You will not steal from your brother or kill him or do all these sort of things. And so they're descriptors of what we truly are like rather than a you shall not, you know, and, you know, and depending on where we are on our walk and our understanding with God, we may need a thou shalt not to keep us from trouble until we get to a look what you're like. Yes. It still comes back to our picture of God because if we see God as punitive, we're going to see the law as punitive and correctional. Right. And the word correction usually doesn't have a really positive ring, I think, in very many people's um, minds. It's like, I'm going to catch you, I'm going to trip you up. Um, And and so, like blue lights behind your windshield. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so if that's our picture of God, that's going to be our picture of the law. But, and, and you're saying the law is a reflection of His love. If we see God as redemptive, it doesn't take away responsibility, personal responsibility. The law doesn't erase personal responsibility. It only gives us guidance. A guideline, if you want to say, and I just want to say guideline, I don't mean that as negotiable, but a framework of how to live as God has created us to live for our best interest in His love for everything, you know. And that when we vary from that, it's going to cause us a lot of problems. And if we use that as a template upon which I have to get muck, buck up and, and do it, it's also going to cause me a lot of problems. Unless I also take with that same description God's Spirit who gives me the strength to do all that. If I'm just coming to the law as, oh, this is what I have to do, and I keep trying and keep trying, I'll be a very angry young man or old man, you know, as it became this week. Um, so anyway... Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like in a marriage relationship. Thou shalt not run around on your wife. Thou shalt come home at the end of the day. Thou shalt have a meal with your family and talk with them. Thou shalt, thou shalt. It could be, if you don't care anything about these people, a bunch of roommate rules. 
Or it could be a delightful part of your day because you get to reconnect with people you care about, who you've been away from, etc., etc. But, you know, it is all in how your heart is looking at this. Is it a bunch of, like, rules I have to do because I want to be good and I have to live with this person and I have to show up and blah, blah, blah? Or is it because this is where my heart is and I want to do those things. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I do want to communicate with them. I want to spend my life with them and have a future with them. It's all where your heart is. Those rules can be looked at either way in a marriage or with God. Tuesday's lesson is about the law and the nations and its description of uh, it says despite Israel's mistakes God did not leave the people in other nations without a a witness and um, it goes on to describe how God gave Israel the assignment of his law and his rules and his witness to other nations intending it to be a blessing to other nations but he didn't leave the other nations absent just because Israel's the favored one and they they are not okay um, there's a lot of dark speech in the in a middle paragraph and I'm not going to take time to go over that um, but I would like to go on to the the purpose and say um, is there a benefit from being a Jew and growing up in the Mosaic law and what does that benefit every, every living thing needs a protocol The Jews have the the clearest revelation uh, of who God was at that time. Okay. Is there a benefit then of the current century of being a Sentley Adventist Christian? And I will assume that this answer is going to be somewhat similar. But then, if other Christians around us are truly God's followers, then is there a benefit for a Sunday Adventist going and sharing their unique beliefs with someone over in a dark county where there's not a Seventh-day Adventist, but there's lots of good Christian people? Is there a benefit to doing that? Yeah, you totally come back down to the spirit and the heart. Uh, if you go to preach and indoctrinate out of a harsh, with a harsh stance, it can be completely negative and destructive for a long time. If, however, it's the character of God that you're sharing with and you're reaching out uh, and helping in that regard, Anytime anyone is exposed to God's love from whatever source, it has the potential to be transformative. I got an issue with your term dark county. Well that's that was my um, reason for using that um, <laughs> that 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 term. Jesus denomination have used dark county for decades and generations basically to presume that we are the only light, which is a huge fallacy. Correct. So the church universal is composed of people from all walks, etc. And without going too, you know, off on that tangent, I, I, I use that word to decry its use because I think it does not match my understanding of God's presence in all nations. Correct. You know, I currently, well, my, my, um, brother-in-law is an Iranian and um, he just published a book about his people and he's been working on it for 30 years and um, I can't read it, it's written in Farsi (laughs) but I would love to read it um, because of his outlook on his people and how they have been led by various leaders throughout the ages but um, right now there's a large segment of the world that I cannot approach because their mindset says that they are different than, than us, 
and they have a different ideas. Having said that, I think that God is working in those places. He hasn't restricted his presence to the English-speaking world or the Judeo-Christian world or whatever. He is working in that. And so, but I think there is an advantage to being a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Just, is there a benefit, if you're married, to living with your spouse? Just a second, I'll, 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 I'll get, there, there's, there's three hands, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to you guys in just a second. Is there a, is there a benefit to living with your spouse? Sure. Or is it better to live 500 miles away from your spouse? <laughs> it depends upon the person who you're married to. Okay? And yourself. And your I, I I include that in the it depends upon who you're married to. If your if your spouse is needing to be protected from you, then it's better for you to live five hundred miles away. Okay? But um God's word in all of its forms, whatever translation, whatever vehicle it takes, and whether that's a personal life that is living his word, it's better to be closer than farther away. Okay? And so, as a Seventh-day Christian, if truly what I, have, if I, what I know about God is a blessing to me, then it is a blessing for me to share that with whomever I come in contact with. But if it's truly a rules-bound assignment that is external, imposed onto my life, that I'm trying to conform to, then what an acid to pour on someone else. You know. All right. Russell, you had your hand up. Getting back to your original question, is there a benefit to being raised Adventist or being within this denomination and going to present to other Christians our particular review set. But the only benefit there is if we present Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Um, when Paul was uh, meeting with the Greeks, he met logic with logic and science with science and reason with reason and emotion with emotion, and, and very few of them listened. Uh, and when he came back, he, he said, I now present Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because that's that is why we're here. So the only benefit to us doing that is to present Christ himself. Okay. Yes. I was just going to say, um, it seems to me like any time you have the mindset or the opinion that I have the absolute truth, and if you go into a group of Christians with that mindset, I feel like that's very dangerous. Um, I left Southern University and went to work um, at World Vision amongst Christians of all walks of faith, and it was such a humbling experience for me because I think I had that attitude as an Adventist. I went thinking, I know everything there is to know, like, but that's not what it's about. It's not, it's not about what you know. It's about your relationship. Is it genuine? And I was just so inspired by the relationships that these people had that I was working with. And they taught me so much more than I could have ever taught them. Very well said. I think the the unique teachings of the Thimpley Adventist Church, if understood in a loving relationship with God, are an amazing asset to us. Okay? But they can be turned into... um, Shackles or weapons or, or, you know, whatever. And um, it's, it's about him. It's not about us. Yeah, and that's, how, that's not how you connect with people either. You know, you're not right. going to sit down and talk about doctrine necessarily or, oh, well, my, my faith believes this and yours believes that. That's where we're different. You're going to connect on why, why do you love God? Why is he your savior? How has he changed your life? I um, you know, every so often you have a aha moment or whatever, and and the only conversation I had with my former partner in orthopedics was one of those, "Why are you different than us?" And we concentrated all our our energy in that hour or so on 
differences and walls and etc. And I wish I could go back and spend that hour again. Okay? Because um, I responded to his question, but I didn't respond in the best way. Because he asked me a direct question, where, why, where are these walls? And I described walls to him. And unfortunately, I didn't describe him. That's how you were raised, and that's how a lot of us were raised. Yeah. So, anyway. All right. Um, I, just to continue with this discussion, um, I think law and grace are not external forces that are sprinkled on us to make us better, but they are part of the inherent part of being a Christian that makes us holy through His Spirit. Okay? And um, when we when we describe grace as something that's applied to us, I um, I'm concerned. Let's put it that way. All right. Oops, I, I left off the text. Oh well. Sunday's lesson. As a result of this, the first six chapters or so of of Romans, Paul has this natural question in in um, in Romans seven: Is the law sin? Okay, and um, is the law sinful, or is the law bad, or is the law at fault? Um, I would like to read you this, the second paragraph of, the, of Sunday's lesson. It says, what Paul says here is analogous to the relationship between criminal law and crime. Something is criminal only if a law depicts it as such. You might go to jail in one country for doing something that in another country is legal. The reason one country has a law forbidding that action, the other doesn't. It is the same action but with two different consequences. What makes the difference? It's the law. Is he describing God's law? No. No. You know, you know. A crucial point to remember, too, is just because something is law doesn't make it good. In early America, a law required people to do to return escaped slaves to their masters. It was the law, yet it was hardly a just one. In case of God's law, however, we know that it reflects his loving character. Thus, Paul's words that the law is holy and good. What else could it be, considering who created it? Question. If you have a good law, but it's enforced incorrectly. Is it good? The law is still good. The applications. You're talking two different things. The law is good. You can have a law that says you shouldn't eat potassium cyanide. That's the law. If you enforce it or not, it's up to you. You have to deal with the results of not following the law. Okay. I am. Um, when I was here in college, my brother was a policeman for the local Collegedale police force. Really? <laughs> it wasn't to my advantage. <laughs> um, let me say that his understanding of the law was very similar to mine at the time. Okay, it was an external trap in which it could be applied to various people, even your brother, arbitrarily. Okay, and um, he got even for a few things. eh? (laughs) He's a good guy. I will have to say that he's he's a good brother, but. our understanding of the law at that time in my life was not the ideal. And um, it was all external. It was all enforced. It was all enacted. It was, it was nothing inherent, you know. And um, I will have to say that when I still see a blue light behind me, I'm relieved when it passes by me and doesn't stay behind me. Okay? Um, the other morning, I was on the way to work, and there's a certain section of road that I have been known to go over the speed limit in. 
Just, just saying. It's um. <laughs> he said it was paved roads, but um. Anyway, there's there's a section of, of street that um, I go over that the police like to use as a speed trap every so often. And it's usually the other way, because you're coming up over a little hill, over a little bridge, you know, covering or whatever. They hide down below, and it's a natural, okay? But I was coming the opposite way. And so typically going that direction, I never pay attention. Coming back the opposite direction, you bet I'm not the first guy over, okay? I'm not the fastest guy over. I'm always, you know, whatever, you know, trying to behave myself. You know, to keep from getting the blue light. Nothing, to, not to behave myself because I think it's right, but just because it's the blue light, whatever. And um, so I was going that toward work, and all of a sudden, a blue light was behind me, and I was like, "Oh, brother, this is that section, and where are they hide now?" You know. And so I pulled over, and he blew past me, and then another one blew past me, and another one, and another one. And, you know, when I came up over that little rise, there were six of them there around the SUV, and someone in a white coat was getting out of the SUV. And I thought, good grief, for a traffic stop? Yeah. What I didn't see is until I got past them, there was a bicycle under that SUV. And so they were responding to something other than a traffic stop, you know. But... um, I thought that's so much how we respond to any description of God's law is the blue light. This week, I was listening to a religious radio station, and um, there is um, someone came on and said, Do you realize that someone is watching you all the time? Do you realize that they see everything you do? And it went on and on and on. I thought, oh, brother, how much can I, can I stand? I was just getting ready to, to um, push the button off because I couldn't stand anymore when the person says, and he's your father, and he's trying to keep you from falling, just like a loving parent does with a toddler who's just learning how to walk. That changed the picture a whole lot, you know? I mean, you can imagine, you know, little munchkin going, running around or whatever, and they're, um, they're about ready to take a tumble, and there's a YouTube video this past week or whatever that was sent to me, and it was of a father who, a kid was just about ready to get a face plant, and he was within inches of the floor, and the father grabbed him by the back of the shirt and saved him, you know? And when I, when I start to look at God's law and God's love and God's presence in my life on a daily basis like that, I have a much different outlook than I do with, you know, what I thought was happening with the first part of that discussion. The God's law description that I was just talking about, etc., where um, it's at a crucial point in case of God's law, we know that it reflects loving character whatnot. Which law are we talking about? The Ten Commandments? Or any other law that God has? Um, Could it apply, could God's law apply to one location, time, and place, and not to another? Did the angels need a restriction against marriage issues, adultery, or... Did, 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 um, they need a honor your mother and father? No. Okay. But the law, the Ten Commandments, is a subset applied to the human race, a description for the home, human race of what God's law looks like. But both of them apply universally. Well, I mean, and then you look at the Mosaic law. He was not just giving spiritual guidance, but he was running a country. You know, he was doing health laws. He was doing legal law. What do you do when a person is a crime? They didn't. They had a whole group of people with no prisons, no hospitals, no nothing. 
And so how are you going to handle when a legal issue comes up? What are you going to do when a health issue comes up? How are you going to handle Well, that's all well and good for that group of people wandering around in the wilderness and so on with no hospitals or prisons or anything. It doesn't necessarily apply to us today in that we live in a cult, different culture with different ways of handling legal issues and health issues far different than what they had available in those days. So a lot of that would not really apply to us, though it was very helpful for dealing with issues within the new country of the Jews, you know. Okay. In Monday's lesson, it starts out saying that the law was a distinguishing thing about the children of Israel. Why is it not the distinguishing thing that Christ said to his followers? But wasn't it a distinguishing thing that Christ said to his followers? Because what he said to his followers was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, body, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And that was different than uh, how others understood, interpreted, and lived the law. So it actually was a distinguishing thing. Okay. So it's it's also how we see it. Is it our distinguishing mark or is it our distinguishing weapon? Okay, as we mentioned it before. If we see it as an enacted entity to control us, then it's truly external and coercive and not what he asked for us to do. You know, if truly it's an internal design protocol that's inherent in how we are made, then it is a divine blessing. And I just kind of comment here to myself, have I been a part of changing times and laws? You know, because if I truly have made God's law into something that is external and controlling, then I have been just as guilty of changing times and laws as any religious entity that we can think of that we blame for whatever. Okay? And so it truly goes back to you know, for a long time, I thought the third commandment was about swearing. Okay? And now, I think it's much more about a label. If I take the name Christ as my label, then if I do that in a less than loving way, I have done more about the third commandment than I have at all about words I have spoken. And I was at work the other day, and someone had used the word, well, I can't remember which one it was, damn or something like that, in a conversation. And so um, they had left the room, and the person in the room says, what did he say? And so I repeated, word for word, his words, right as one of my fellow employees walked in, and they about passed out. And, and they said, Wendell, we've never heard you say that word before. And I thought, oh, great. But that's not what the third commandment is about. Okay, I may have a different vernacular than someone else, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a Christian if I treat them like dirt. Yes. I think God concentrates more on the fail-safe of the grace than on the law. And humans concentrate maybe more on the law. Okay, I was going to um, ask that question. It's because we see them as different. There is a revelation of grace. Everything God has done for humanity has been a revelation of his love and grace. It's like saying God is love, but, but he's yeah. also just. He's just. Instead right. of and he's just. It's the same thing. Wednesday's lesson was about that. Grace and truth. And um, I, I asked the question at the beginning of this lesson, uh, at the beginning of the, the page, are these two different things? Grace and truth. And I, 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 my analogy that I immediately thought of was the blind man and the elephant. 
you know, the, 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 the story, the blind men were describing an elephant and one picked his tail and said it was like a, an elephant was like a rope. And one picked the, 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 um, a leg and said an elephant's like a tree. You know, and I think, you know, we have these dis- different descriptors of what God is like. And um, we use them in almost like isolated little boxes and rather than a unified whole of what God is like. You know, and... Um, but doesn't that kind of describe organized religion? By and large. By and large. Much of what I learn in theology is in boxes. And, and, but that's because we can grade it. And we, and we can judge it. And we can put values on it that are external to their in, intrinsic nature. Okay? How do you give a grade? I'm supposed to be giving grades to residents. And I can tell you there are some residents I do not want touching me. You know? I, I was at a, another, I lived in Asheville, North Carolina for many years, and, and um, um, there was uh, someone who came through and was there for several years as a, a trauma surgeon and then moved on. We were all, oh, because we didn't want to have to put a tattoo on our chest saying, if this is so-and-so, do not touch me. You know? I became very ill when I was there from food poisoning, and um, I became so dehydrated that I had to, I don't know if you, the Valsalva maneuver, you know, strain, you know. I had to do that to be able to stay awake when I was upright. And so I learned that I could walk from my living room over to my kitchen if I Valsalva the whole time and crunched over and took small steps. I get to my my kitchen ca- table and get something and come back and I'd lay down. And um, finally, I called to my wife and said, um, "I think I need you." <laughs> and she said, "Well, what do you want me to do?" You know, she was a wise woman. You know, she, you know, ha- had lived with me more than a, a little while. And so I said, "I think I have to go to the emergency room." And so. We went in the emergency room, and I, once I got on the stretcher, I just passed out. I knew I was safe. I knew I was a, among friends, and um, I was done. I just passed out. And they came in, and <laughs> the sweet young thing that came in and took my blood pressure disappeared like that, you know. And um, I stayed awake until she got back with someone else. And she said, I can't get one. You know, and um, so they started an IV and they put four liters of fluid in me. And the, um, my friend, the ER doc, came in and said, Wendell, um, I think I'm going to have to keep you because I can't get your pressure over 90. And um, so he said, there's something wrong with you inside of you and I don't know what it is. And I've called someone and I thought, oh, brother, you know, I was awake. I was awake at that point, and then the guy who I considered the best in the business walked through the door, and I said, thank God, and I said, whatever you need to do, I'm here, and I think that's how we need to be with God, you know, we need to trust who walks in the door, yes, if we could use the word graciousness, when we right. talk about God, rather than the word grace. Right. Grace has, a, has come to be a bit of a barrier. Right. You've got to overcome this. But if we, if we could just use that, just change that word to God's graciousness toward us, it would make life a lot easier. Yeah. And, and realize that God really is a friend of ours. And he wants to do everything he can to make it easy for us. And we beat our heads against the wall. We make, we make mountains out of molehills. And he, I can just imagine him saying, oh, they don't get it. And so if we, if we could just get a picture of God being kind and gracious rather than the one who's got the hammer ready to get you if you do something wrong. Right. And that's the summation, I think, of the whole lesson. 
you know, um, the, the Christ came down off the Mount of um, Transfiguration, and he came to the disciples who were not able to heal a, a guy who was seizing, and um, the Pharisees came up to accuse him and the disciples of being imposters and whatnot, and. There's a sentence there that taken out of context could be misconstrued. It says, how long do I have to be with you? And it was, how long do I have to be with you, Pharisees, to understand that God is not like that? You know, when we come to church, we should be coming to the emergency room surrounded by friends who have our best interests in mind. And we are all in the emergency room, unfortunately. But we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and helpers given by God. I need to close. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of listening to you and to hearing you. May we have ears to hear, may we have eyes to see, and may we be helpers to your name rather than obstruction in the way. Amen.